Pastor Javen will be sharing today about baptism, what it means, and why we do this as followers of Christ. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Paul writes these words to believers in Rome, and he tells them, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Is that the purpose of God's grace? He says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Let that just seep into your heart today. You do not have to be a slave to an addiction. The way that you live, that's not just who you are. Well, I can't change because that's just who I am. It's it's not what your creator God tells you. He says, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Father, we are thankful for your words today. These words that you gave Paul, you inspired him by the power of your Holy Spirit to write these words and how powerful they are today. They remind us of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So, Father, we thank you for that today. We love you. We give you praise. We ask you now to just open up our hearts to receive from you, to hear from you, and help us to be obedient to you in all things and in all ways. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you. I am not a cucumber fan. I don't like cucumbers. But I'll eat a pickle. Um... If you didn't know, that's, these are cucumbers. They're just better. Um, and we like the kosher ones here, but my family, back when we, uh, back when they allowed you to take glass to the recycling center, um, we would have our glass box. And our glass box often looked like this. I brought a picture of it. That's what our glass box often looked like before, <laughs> before we went... We love pickles. We like pickles, don't? My wife loves cucumbers, and I learned early when when I buy when in my marriage when I buy pickles, I don't buy bread and butter. I learned that early. I grew up on bread and butter. I changed. My wife didn't change. I changed. Right? Um, but we like we like pickles. Let's go back to the words of Paul in in his letter that he wrote to the Romans. And I want to look at 
one of the statements that he made there and, and something that he something that he was saying. In the section of this letter that we're looking at, Paul is talking to them about what salvation looks like in their life. That salvation comes from the forgiveness of sins that we can have because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Because he gave his life and through his death, through his resurrection, we can be saved and we can be forgiven of sins. And so he's telling them that just because salvation doesn't come by your ability, by our ability to do certain things according to certain regulations, that doesn't mean that we keep on living however we want to live. It doesn't mean that we keep doing whatever we want to do if that thing that we're doing is against the will of the Father, against his heart, against his desires for our life. So then he reminds them in this statement of how they illustrated that in their life. And he says it this way in verses three and four. We'll go back and look at these verses. Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in Jesus, with Christ Jesus in what? Baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. I want to look at this writing from the message translation. I like the way it reads it. It's Romans chapter 6, and we'll start with verse 1 in the message. But look at, look at this writing. He says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left that for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace. A new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light filled world by our father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace, sovereign country. I love that. It's such a poetic and beautiful rendering of, of what baptism is or what that explanation from Paul. But what exactly is baptism? Baptism is when we look at it in the new Testament, it is an immersion into water, but why, why is baptism significant? What does that immersion mean? Why do Christians and why do I see people in churches feeling like people have to be dunked in water? What is the purpose of that? Well, I think to understand that, I want us to go kind of rewind from where we are in Paul's letter in Romans. I want us to rewind a little bit in the history of their culture. If we go back to Jewish culture, Jewish culture had this ceremony that they called ablution. This was a washing or a cleansing. It was done as a purification ceremony for the purposes of purification. There were a few different types of ablution that would take place in Jewish culture. One was a washing of the hands. Another was the washing of the hands and the feet. It's when, if you ever read the gospels and you see Jesus having this discussion with the Pharisees as he often did, because they would like to argue with him about different things. And they were telling him, they tattled on the disciples and they said, Hey, your guys didn't wash their hands before they ate. 
right? And Jesus is like, don't you understand that it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth from your heart that shows you're unclean. And he's having this discussion with them because the Pharisees were misunderstanding the whole purpose of why the law was given in the first place. And so it was all becoming a lot of these rituals. Another way that that ablution would take place is there would be an immersion into a whole body of water. And when that would take place, it would take place in a pool called a mikvah. A mikvah. I brought a picture of what a mikvah would look like. It would be one of these pools down in, inside this area into water. If you remember the Bible series that came out uh, several years back, uh, there was a scene in there when one of the priests was, someone comes in to talk to one of the priests and he's in a pool like this. He was in a mikvah. He was immersing himself in this, in a purification process, all right, to cleanse himself. Because this was something that must take place before anyone would participate in the sacrifices and their religious sacrifices and religious festivals. If anyone had anything unclean in their life, before they would go to the temple, they would have to immerse themselves. They would have to wash themselves and cleanse themselves. But there was another process of immersion that would take place in Jewish culture. And that took place when a Gentile, basically meaning not Jew, okay, would come and they would say, I want to become a Jew. I want to begin to follow Judaism. Well, to do this, they would tell them, well, you have to go through ablution and you have to be immersed into a body of water. Because what they were doing in that time and in that process is they were washing off all their Gentileness so that they can be purified and they can be cleansed so that they can begin to follow the ways of Judaism. So when we read the Old Testament, when you're reading your Bible and you're reading through the Old Testament, this was the understanding that they had. This was what they knew about when it comes to washing and cleansing and the ceremonies and the rituals. All right. And so they did the best that they could in following God. But we know that through reading the Old Testament, that the people weren't always very good at following God and following what he gave them. But we can't be too harsh and judgmental on them, right? Because a lot of times we struggle at following the teachings and the ways that we know that Jesus has, has led us and what he's leading us to do. But when they would have these problems, God had prophets that would speak into the nation of Israel. And he had prophets that would give them warnings. He had prophets that would lead them to things that they needed to do to to change and these things that that needed to take place. One of the greatest prophets that you've probably heard of is Isaiah. Isaiah has many prophecies throughout his writings to, to instructions to those in Israel. But he also has many prophecies speaking up to the coming of a Messiah, a suffering servant who would come that would save their nation, but also save the whole world. In one of those prophecies, he also talked about someone that would come to prepare the way for that person. Then, right before God goes silent, there was another prophet. It was a prophet by the name of Malachi. And he was speaking to the Israelites and how they had forgotten, again, many of the teachings of God and the leading of what he had told them that they needed to do. And so he speaks to them. And we see these words in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. He tells them this. He says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah was another great phenomenal prophet that you read about in Old Testament who had many prophecies to help lead the people of Israel. But he was one that had already come and he had died. But Malachi is telling him, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. 
Your translation may say terrible. That word dreadful, that word terrible in the Hebrew, it also means simply this as well. It means that it's a moment in time, a day, when you stand in awe, speechless of the power that's being resembled in front of you or, or, or being performed in front of you. So these were the words, some of the last words that the prophet Malachi spoke. And we see this and then silence for over 400 years. God doesn't speak to the nation of Israel until one day, here's these ra- this raggedy looking dude. I mean, that's basically how the gospel is describing. That he's, he's out along the eastern border of Jerusalem, of Israel. He's at the Jordan River. And he's making these bold proclamations and these bold teachings that he's saying to people. Let's look at what Mark says. Mark chapter 1. He says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began... Just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, these were the words of the prophet Isaiah. I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. And then Mark writes, it says, he's a voice shouting in the wilderness. Again, quoting Isaiah, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. So Mark is saying, he's quoting the the prophet Isaiah and he's reminding them. Isaiah said there was going to be one that come before him. Now, Jesus, one day he was in the town of Galilee and he was speaking to the people in Galilee. He was teaching, he was doing a lot of ministry. And he began to talk to them. Now, this is people traveled. This just shows you people traveled a long way to go and hear what this message was from this guy named John. And so Jesus is teaching them in Galilee. And look at what Jesus tells them about John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 14, he says, if you're willing to accept what I say, John the Baptist, talking about John the Baptist, he is the Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. So John the Baptist is is not just the one that Isaiah said was going to come to prepare the way. He is the one that Malachi said would be Elijah that would come before that day when you would all stand speechless in awe of an amazing power. So what was John teaching? Let's look in verse four and five of Mark chapter one. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. See, John's immersion was different than that of traditional Jewish ablution. It wasn't the person going and washing themselves. John was the one dipping them and washing them, right? In a sense, he was immersing them in the water. Now recall too, that I said that one of the ways that this took place in ablution was if you were a Gentile wanting to become a part of the people of God and a part of the nation of Israel. So for those who were heeding the words of John, and we're making this step to be baptized. They were making a very serious statement in this moment. They were saying that I am like the Gentiles. Even though I am a part of the nation of Israel, I'm like the Gentiles. I am one who is an outsider that needs to do this in order to associate myself with the people of God. So John, and we also know that John is a relative of Jesus. He's a relative. Luke who, who investigated everything. Before he wrote his letter, he investigated thoroughly 
everything that took place in the life of Jesus and the disciples and, 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 and his followers. And then he wrote Luke that we have. And he wrote the book of Acts to tell us everything that took place. But he tells us this. He tells us that when Mary found out that she was pregnant, you can see it in Luke chapter one, the angel also told her your relative Elizabeth is pregnant with child. The child she was pregnant with was the child that would be born and named John. So Luke tells us that Mary goes to Elizabeth's house to stay with her for about three months, probably because she's nervous, scared how people will respond to her being pregnant and her and Joseph not being married and this happening. But Luke tells us that when she got to Elizabeth's house and Elizabeth Elizabeth opens the door, that as soon as she sees Mary, that the baby inside Elizabeth, Luke says, leapt in her womb. The baby leapt with life and he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb. Now, so Mary stays and he spends time there. And then John and Jesus, they grow up together. And now John is out there at the Jordan River immersing people, calling them to repent. And we're seeing this word, baptize. And John being called John the Baptist. Now, it wasn't a denominational affiliation. You know that. It was, it was, it was the fact that people were basically saying, hey, we need to go see this John the Washer fellow. This John the Immerser. And we need to go see what all this hubbubaloo is about. That's a tough word to say. We need to go find out what he's talking about. Find out what he's doing. So the word that we see in the Greek is the word baptizo. It just simply means to be immersed or to be washed. <clears throat> and I love this illustration of the word baptizo that comes from a Greek poet and a Greek physician by the name of Nicander. It's found in a recipe that he shared in 200 BC. And the recipe goes like this. You take a cucumber. You dip it in boiling water. And then you baptizo it. You immerse it into a vinegar solution. And the result of this is a change in the vegetable. Now, the commentator, a scholar by the name of John Phillips, he wrote these words about John's baptism. He said, John's baptism focused on repentance. His baptism could not wash away sin, but his preaching could produce conviction of sin. And those who repented under John's preaching simply and in a most public way signified their repentance by being immersed in the Jordan. So this baptism signified that they knew the way they were living was wrong. They were not following God the way God had instructed them to follow him. And they knew there needed to be change in their life. And so when they heeded the words of John, their immersion signified their embrace of a need for change in their life. And notice that it's what John is doing, where it's happening, is happening at the Jordan River. Now, I wonder, as I often do when I'm reading the Gospels, and I think back to things that have taken place I wonder when the people were standing there and they were hearing John talk about the needing to be cleansed and the needing to be washed and they're at the Jordan River, did they remember Naaman? 
Maybe you remember Naaman. Naaman is someone that you read about in the Old Testament. He was a, a, a leader of one of the king's armies of that day. Phenomenal for the king. But the problem with Naaman was Naaman had a horrible disease called leprosy. It was very contagious. It was very deadly. Anyone who had leprosy was considered to be unclean. Don't get around someone with leprosy. But Naaman had an Israelite girl who had been taken captive in their home. She was the maid for Naaman's wife. And this girl told Naaman, I know a prophet by the name of Elisha. Elisha came after Elijah. So I know a prophet by the name of Elisha. If you go find him, he will tell you what you need to be, what you need to do and how you need to be cleansed of this leprosy and how you can be healed. And so Naaman goes and he finds Elisha. And the whole story is kind of interesting. Elisha, he feels like Elisha's pulling him around a little bit, maybe mocking him some, giving him an instruction that is only for a joke because Elisha is sending word to Naaman. You just need to go be washed, immersed, dipped in the Jordan River seven times. Now, when you read through the scripture, seven is typically meaning a number of completion. So he's saying, you need to just go and wash in that river, lower yourself in, come up out of it seven times. And when you do, you'll be cleansed of your leprosy. So Naaman eventually gives in and he goes and he does this. He allows himself to be immersed into that Jordan river seven different times. And the seventh time when he comes out, he's cleansed from his leprosy. It's no longer on his body. And John is out there, this Jordan river. And he's teaching these people and he's saying, you need to be cleansed. Your life needs to be cleansed. The way you're following God, it's not right. You're abusing his teachings. And your life needs to change. And so I'm wondering, are they thinking just like in Naaman's obedience and something that was hard for him to understand from the words of Elisha, maybe we should be obedient to this teaching from John. And in the same way that Naaman was cleansed from a leprosy on his skin, we'll be cleansed from a leprosy of sin in our life. And so they do it, they participate. And John's baptism prepared the way for Jesus. It was foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. Much like everything that we see in the Old Testament was foreshadowing for Jesus. And it prepared the way for when Jesus would come and he would begin his earthly ministry. And look what happens, Matthew chapter three, verse 13 to 15. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? I think this is a funny conversation. You know, can you imagine this conversation taking place? John, Jesus, all right, let's see. I need you baptized. No, no, no. You, you, you're Jesus. <laughs> you need to baptize me. I didn't know John. You need to baptize, but you're Jesus. I, you're the one supposed to baptize. Can you imagine this kind of, it also makes me wonder what other conversations I wish we could find writing somewhere, the conversations of John and Jesus as they were growing up, man, how phenomenal would that be? Because you notice that John calls, if you read in the scriptures, John calls the Pharisees who were coming out to hear what he was talking about. He calls them a brood of vipers when they walk up. Jesus also called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. 
just makes me, what, what were their conversations like? What were they talking about? What were they saying? But anyway, you got this conversation, it goes on, and Jesus said, it's got to be done by you, John, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. See, Jesus is telling when we do this, we're beginning the fulfillment of righteousness. We're beginning the process. You are ceremonially preparing me for what I'm going to do in my sacrifice. But not only that, we're also establishing a standard here, John. A standard for what we're going to do. And if Jesus was perfect, he was without sin, why would Jesus need to be baptized like those who were sinners? Admitting their sin. But for Jesus, it wasn't a baptism of repentance. It was all a part of the mission and the purpose of God, his father, and what he's sitting to do. See, Jesus, just like many prophets who had come before him and many great leaders in Jewish leadership, Moses, Daniel, two guys that we're going to start a series on and talk about in the coming weeks, Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah. All these guys, when they prayed for repentance, they didn't just pray for theirs. They prayed for the whole nation. They prayed for all the people. So Jesus was taking a stance like that, but greater than those, he didn't just pray for repentance for the sin of the people. He took on the sin of all of humanity. He took the weight of it. He took the punishment of it. He took it all on himself. And so by allowing John to baptize him, he endorsed what John was doing. And he began his earthly ministry that we would follow and that we would see. And not only that, what Jesus did was approved by the heavenly father. Look at what Matthew wrote in Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. He says, after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were opened. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Other translations say, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was being approved by the father. His mission, his purpose, his act, everything he was doing was being validated and approved by the Father. And then you fast forward in the Gospels, all of Jesus' ministry, his death, his resurrection, the purpose for him coming. And before Jesus leaves, we see Jesus give these words to his followers. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus had given this direction to go, to make disciples. Let them hear what I've shared you with you. And then baptize them into this new way of life. And so upon that direction and upon the direction to go into Jerusalem and pray and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had told them God was going to send them, they go and they wait. And then Luke writes in Acts chapter 2 that as they're praying, the Holy Spirit comes and there's a lot of people in Jerusalem on this day because of the Passover festival that's happening. 
they hear a lot happening in this place. There's a lot of confusion about what's going on. So Peter, being directed and led by the Holy Spirit, steps out and he preaches a spirit-empowered message to the people around him to clear up everything that was happening and to clear up some things that had been taking place over the last several days and weeks. And Luke tells us that the conclusion of his message, this is what happens. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Some translations say he cut their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do in response to this? What needs to be our response? And Peter replies to him, each of you must repent of your sins. Turn to God and be baptized. It was an act of obedience. So see, Jesus not only baptized himself, was baptized himself, he directed baptism for the followers of Christ. And the followers of Christ continued in the act of obedience to do this and to lead this and to represent this in lives of followers. Now see, Peter wasn't just trying to simply encourage the people around him to, un- to change their mind about who Jesus was. It wasn't just that. It wasn't just him trying to get them to be sorrowful for being a part of the mob that was yelling to crucify Christ. It wasn't just that. He was trying to get them to see that the God they say they serve, their heavenly father, Yahweh, the God you serve validated the Jesus you neglected. And you need to recognize that. And you need to repent for missing the promise of God and his son, Jesus Christ. And change your life. But not only did they need to repent, they needed to be baptized, Peter said. Why? Well, let's keep going. Look at what he, in that verse, Acts two thirty-eight. Each one of you must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you might be like, wait a minute. Jesus said to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peter's telling them you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And I, believe it or not, this is a debate in the church world. Let me just explain my understanding, the way I see this. The people Peter were talking to, they didn't have a, father, a, a, a problem with Father God. They didn't neglect God. They knew who the Father was. They neglected Jesus. They said Jesus was blasphemous. He was not the promise of the Messiah. And so Peter was making the point, you associate yourself with the Father. But you need to understand, the only true way to associate yourself with the Father is through Jesus. And if you take part in this baptism... You're representing and saying, I am now associating myself, not just with the Father. I'm associating myself truly to the Father through Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. And in the same way that the promise that was given to Peter and all these people that started this whole thing in Acts chapter 2. That same promise now when you are baptized and you associate yourself 
through Jesus with the Father, that same promise of the Holy Spirit is available to you. And this is what's happening. So in a way, Peter is saying, you are baptizing yourself in in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, baptism meant for these people a severing of their ties from Judaism in the way they knew Judaism and becoming associated with Jesus Christ and the new covenant that had been given. Not the old covenant to the nation of Israel, but the new covenant that had been given through Jesus to the world. So baptism, we can really kind of explain it this way. It's a public declaration of a new association in your life. That's what baptism is. It's not just a ritual. It's not just a church tradition. It's a public profession of you associating yourself, your life with Christ, that you are beginning a life of following the teachings of Jesus, being what Jesus calls a disciple of him. We begin to realize that there's more to than just right now. Life is bigger than me. It's bigger than my selfish desires. It's bigger than my selfishness. And Jesus came and took the penalty of sin on himself so that I can have a new life if I just express my belief in that through faith. So see, my faith in Christ and, my, and the grace from Christ, that's what saves me. And I symbolize my faith in my act of baptism. It symbolizes my association with him, my union with him. It's that outward sign of the inward change I'm believing to take place in my life. I'm changing my selfish pursuits. I'm changing my selfish purposes. I'm trusting God to work in me and through me. And I'm illustrating that through this baptism. And so that takes us back to Romans and where Paul's letter and when he's writing in what we see in Romans chapter six. Yes, baptism symbolizes repentance. It symbolizes cleansing. It symbolizes commitment, but it also symbolizes our identification in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It represents an acknowledgement that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross completely washes away my sin. There's nothing I can do. His sacrifice alone is what washes away my sin. And I am raised to a new life in him through the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul was saying in his letter to the Romans. And he said it again in his letter he wrote to the church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So what does that mean for you? Maybe you're like those that Peter preached to that day after they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been hearing the word of God. Maybe you've been having conversations with followers of Christ. You've been hearing the teachings of God's word. You've been reading the word of God yourself and everything you're doing, everything you're hearing, everything you're getting, it's, it's piercing your heart. It's cutting you to your heart. You're beginning to realize that, that God, Jesus, his church 
It's different than what I thought it was. It's, it's not what I thought it was. There's more to it. There's life in it. There's change that can take place in my life from it. You're realizing that I really am a selfish person. But the reason I'm selfish is it's because I'm sinful. It's the nature that I've been born with. And the good news is that Jesus came to help me fix that problem. And where I didn't want to see it, and where I didn't want to admit it, the nature that I live in, that's the nature that put Christ on the cross, that sin. So my sin is a part of the sin that put Christ on the cross. But it was for good. So if that's the case, my response should be no different than those in Acts chapter 2. My response should be, I need to repent. And then in an act of obedience, be baptized. To say, I am associating myself to Christ. Acknowledge who you are without God. You can't do anything to change your own life through your own efforts. You can only be changed by what he's done for you. Follow him, begin the journey, begin to learn from him, begin to grow in him. And understand, it might be a process. It can take place like that, but it might be a process. It may exactly be a journey and that's okay. But let the journey start and let God work in you. Paul called salvation a gift. A gift is free to you, but it has to be received and a gift has to be embraced. When you go through a process of baptism, that is the picture of your embrace of the gift that has been given to you. That is the picture of you saying, I am receiving this gift from God. There's nothing mystical or magical about the water. This water is from Camden. It's, it's, it's nothing, but it is a symbol and it is a powerful symbol that in your baptism, you are expressing repentance and trusting Jesus and believing that he is delivering you in your life. He's delivering you from the chaos of sin that enslaves you. He's changing your heart and your heart's desires. Listen, some of you may be pursuing things and desiring things in your life and you haven't seen those things come to fulfillment and those desires come to fulfillment. Maybe stop making those your number one pursuit in the declaration of your number one pursuit and just make God the declaration of your number one pursuit. And let, let your life chase after him and trust him to, to bring you what you need, to take you where you need to be. <clears throat> you accept Christ and you're saying, look, I, I know, I understand that life might not get better, but here's the thing. I can get better at handling life in Christ. And I want to associate myself with him. And my goal from this point over, 
point forward is to follow him in every way I can. So listen, there might be three groups of people in here today. There might be some that has never become a follower of Christ. My prayer today, my heart's desire today is that you understand Jesus Christ is the only one that can change your life. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, he is your salvation. And if you've never repented of the sin in your heart and your life, he's the only hope for your soul. So my prayer is that you would repent today. And if that's you, then the first step of obedience is, a, is baptism. Listen, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the importance of obedience. Sometimes even when we don't understand everything about it, obedience. Jesus did it. Jesus directed it. It's an act of obedience. So some of you may need to take that step today and repent and be baptized. Some of you, you say I'm a follower, but I've never taken that step and immersed myself in water. It's never too late. It's okay. It's not a shame. It's not something to be shameful of that you never did it. But today you need to take that step. Maybe if it's not for you, if it's, it's for someone in your family, it's for someone to see the obedience in your life. Maybe you say, well, I was sprinkled when I was a baby. That's Listen, that's great and that's awesome. That was for your parents. And your parents, reason they did that was their heart, their desire was that you would grow up and follow God. So if you take that step of obedience and allow yourself to be immersed and to be baptized and do what the church did, associate yourself with Christ. You're answering the prayer of your parents. And maybe, maybe there's others. You, you were baptized at some point in your life, but you realized for you that that baptism wasn't what it needed to be. It was just being done because. It was being done because maybe mom told you you had to be. Maybe someone told you you needed to be and you didn't fully understand what you were doing. And it never really, it was never an association for you with Christ. It was not something that visualized the repentance of your heart and an embrace of the gift of God. If that's you, it's okay. You, you can be baptized again. And associate yourself with Christ and say, I'm truly wanting to follow God. And I truly want to give myself to him. So my encouragement to you today is to just seek God. If you're in any of those categories, to seek God and be obedient to him. If you heard my invitation last week, then maybe bring a change of clothes. Maybe God will do something. If you brought a change of clothes, we're going to stand here in just a minute. We're going to worship God in song. Go grab those clothes, go change and come back down and meet me right over here. If this is you and you're like, I need to be baptized right now. I don't have a change of clothes, but I really, really, really need to do this. I'm not going to argue with you. If you feel like driving home wet, I'm not going to argue with you. All right. Take that step of obedience. Come down, join us as we're worshiping. just my heart's desire is for us to understand the reason, the purpose. It's not a ritual. It's not a tradition. It's a purpose. Jesus did it and he directed it. Stand with me this morning.
If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccanvin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.